Hi, I'm Ellie Kushner, and you're listening to Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm talking to Dr. Liliana Arujo. Liliana is a psychologist, and she works as a researcher and a lecturer in performance psychology, and she holds her PhD in psychology from the University of Mino, and she has a long um, background with dance. I met Liliana when I was in graduate school at Trinity Laban, and she was there as a postdoc researcher in dance science um, supported by the Leonardo da Vinci Mobility Grant. She currently leads the MSC and MFA programs in dance science and teaches performance psychology across the faculties of music and dance at Trinity Laban. Liliana has lectured widely on performance psychology and related areas at an undergraduate and postgraduate level all across Europe and in South America. Her research focuses on performance psychology with a particular focus on expertise and career development. Liliana is especially interested in investigating how performers from different domains develop and employ psychological skills and their impact on performers' health, well-being, and success. And in addition to all this, Liliana is also currently working as a freelance external evaluator slash consultant on the processes of culture change, well-being, and performance psychology, mainly with orchestras. So this brings us to today's topic, which is the institution's role in creating an environment that is conducive to mental health. So up until now, we've been talking about different things that you, the dancer, can do to improve and help facilitate good health. But um, Liliana was mentioning to me that there's a lot of emphasis on positive psychology and the role of the individual. But as a culture and a society, we also need to consider how the systems that we operate within may or may not be conducive to good mental health. Is that accurate, Liliana? Is that right? Hello, Ellie. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity um, to join you to speak about mental health and, and well-being. So yeah, as you were saying, uh, we keep putting a lot of pressure on individuals. And even when we talk about uh, positive psychology, there's a huge emphasis on looking at how individuals can fulfill their own strength and how can we support individuals to optimize their their strengths and skills um, but th there is little emphasis still on how can organizations do more to support um, the development of, of strengths and skills of individuals and although research in positive psychology has looked into that in other fields I do believe that in the performing arts is still something that needs to be developed a little bit further. Yeah. That's interesting. What what exists in other fields? Um, well, in terms of re research, uh, and if you, you know, we all have heard about how can big companies sustain their employees highly motivated and increase productivity through uh, a, a wider focus on human factor so looking at employees and workers as as human capital so in this sense how how can we create environments that uh, lead workers to be more engaged more motivated happier 
with good well-being that in a way will lead to more productivity and success of of the whole of the, the individual and the organization so there is a lot of research out there looking into that how successful companies promote this kind of process and and conditions to support their employees um, in the performing arts this is something that we don't speak or research in, 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 in that same sense, uh, in that same way. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, so there is lots of good things happening um, in, in many organizations from companies to schools or charities. There's a lot of support out there already, but there isn't yet um, a systematization of these process and conditions so that we can, in a way, develop more consistently strategies and tools to support dancers more effectively, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So um, to your first point about what exists in um, industries, other industries, like Mm -hmm. just to oversimplify, if we think about physical health, like companies have acknowledged that if they don't provide sick days, then people come to work sick and then lots of people get sick and then they lose a bunch of productivity because people get ill and can't work. So that's like an extreme simplification. Mm -hmm. Um, But we see, yeah, in in corporations that if they offer certain wellness programs, people maintain better mental health and are therefore more relaxed and capable of working well. Um, Mm -hmm. And then to what you said, Secondly, I, when we spoke earlier, I, I was really intrigued. You said how, like, there are a lot of individuals who really care about this stuff. And that, that really connected to me because I, you know, work in a lot of institutions where I know there are lots of faculty members who care very, very deeply about students and dancers and um, appreciate the complex demands and um, the very high demands that are put on these individuals and really do a lot in their personal efforts to sort of ameliorate that that stress. But what you're talking about is more like to do with programmatic choices or scheduling or, or even the vision of the institution, is that right? Yes, it's more about the organizational culture in a way. So yes, there are a lot of individuals with with leadership or responsibility positions in, in that sense. So lots of teachers and works. If we remember the work, for example, of Safe in Dance International, where lots of teachers are being trained to teach with an increased awareness of health and well-being of their dancers. So there are lots of work that individuals are doing. What I'm referring to is this need in a way of optimizing the organizational culture. And in positive psychology, if we use the models of positive psychology, we often talk about optimizing the skills and strengths of individuals. And it would be interesting to take that to the organizational level in a more deliberate, intentional way, as you were saying. So things, for example, as you were saying, considering sick leave or more flexible hours or how can we rethink communication within the organization to ensure that we are actually supporting dancers, supporting individuals, whether 
whether we are talking about students in dance educational institutions or dancers in companies, but how can we create an environment that is uh, that sustains good health, good mental health, and a positive environment where it's okay to to talk about this. It's okay to ask for flexibility. It's okay to be creative about uh, new ways of tackling stress or burnout. So it, it's more about how to how can we develop an organizational culture that's in a way is more is less disconnected. So instead of just having a couple of individuals doing a lot, how can the, the goals, the mission of the organization deliberately consider mental health as a priority? Indeed, how can we? <laughs> so um, this is basically the work that you're doing right now with some orchestras as a freelancer, right, is to guide them through that very question. So what sorts of changes specifically are you helping organizations make to meet these these ideas? First of all, I, I do believe that we don't need to make radical changes. Sometimes it's just a matter of adjusting things that are already in place and just do it slightly different or in, in a more creative way. Um, so let me give you an example. Many organizations have uh, committees, meeting people that meet to discuss certain aspects and one of those can be physical and mental health and how to sustain dancers' well-being, that sense. And we do question if the information that is discussed in those committees do travel efficiently to the to the required recipient. In a way, what we see many times in organizations is that the communication, all the points are raised, but then they don't connect efficiently. Mm -hmm. So in the matter, it's just asking the question, is it, is it working, uh, the communication, is it working efficiently? And if not, where is the point where we can actually intervene in a way that we can communication happen more efficiently? So, for example, if there's committees, do, do these committees do really take action that then these actions are pursued by the people that are responsible to take, to take it further? So sometimes it's just this level of awareness or increased awareness that we may think that things are working, but actually there's gaps in mm -hmm. communication. So this is just an example of how we can look um, more broadly at how communication is working and try to identify if there's any gap that we can actually intervene and make that gap in a way disappear and make communication happen more efficiently. Other examples could be not necessarily uh, coming from the work I'm doing uh, directly with some orchestras, but things like, for example, in schools and as teachers, consider things like having mental health first aid training. Mm -hmm. Mental health first aid training is becoming widely available. In the UK, at least, is widely available. And it could be something that could be considered by organizations to invest more on having more people with mental health first aid training. Similarly to, you know, if you have an injury, you have uh, 
a first aider that can guide you through the, the next steps in, in responding to that injury or that crisis. Similarly, we could have more people trained with mental health first aid that could identify signs of crisis and, and guide people through the, the, the necessary steps. So these are just some examples of things that could, in a way, uh, facilitate or support this environment where there's responses when, when, it's, when it's needed. And in terms of communication, communication that is more efficient and that actually is translated into change of behaviors in a way. You said you don't think that this always needs to be radical, that we don't maybe need radical changes. On the other hand, like, I also wonder if some of it does need to be a bit radical (laughs) because, you know, this is something that came up a lot when I was studying for my MSc is some of the behaviors and practices in dance are so entrenched in tradition that it can be very hard to take like an evidenced-based approach into a dance setting. And like when you talk about the communication trickling down, here's something I can imagine. You know, at, at many universities in the U.S., and I don't know if it's the same in abroad, but we have major mental health crises. You know, there are articles all the time about about the crises that students are experiencing, and and we as faculty see that firsthand. And we're all very concerned, and we care about our students deeply, and it's stressful for everyone involved, and it's a concern. And and yet, none of us are prepared to say scale back on training hours. Mm-hmm. You know, so as much as we don't want these people we care about deeply to be overburdened and stressed and anxious and experience burnout and and worse nobody is prepared to say you know they need to be in the studio less they need to be dancing less (laughs) you know they need more time for mental processing and things like that yeah uh, yes, and I, I do agree with you, and in a way, maybe because we, we work, and I, I personally, uh, I can say that I'm fortunate enough or lucky enough to work in an environment where these, these topics are discussed openly, and, and there's ideas for research in this area, so in a way, we are the ones that are highly aware of the need for change and the needs to really support dancers to optimize and maximize their potential. But there's many schools and organizations all over the all over the the world that still don't um, are still guided by a very, as you said, traditional or more rigid um, understanding of what what means to be a successful dancer and what means to produce a successful, uh, a successful performance. So yes, in a way, um, I don't have a clear answer for that, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, I understand what you are saying. And it's interesting that coming from 
uh, a different background and not a all my background was was done in universities, not conservatoire or very or very uh, specialized environments, and in a way that gives me the the capacity to to look at different types or of environments. Yeah, different models. Different models and how they can work or they can't work um, in different apply to different environments as well, and it's interesting to see how in the in in the performing arts in general, we do demand creativity, we do demand flexibility in terms of the performer, but actually the organizations still are still very grounded in tradition, in resistance to change. I do believe that things are changing, mm-hmm. um, but I do agree with you that there's still a lot of resistance to change and in a way, I think lack of understanding of other other process and other mechanisms that can be put in place to optimize dancers' performance other than just adding training. I think we still have a long way to go in a way, <laughs> but I do have hope and I do believe there's many people making changes already and many organizations who are taking different approaches to training as well and to workloads. It's not a simple or an easy topic to address and yeah but I think in a way this idea of shared responsibility and we as individuals do have responsibility to for things to change in a way slowly and sometimes it's it's just what we need is to introduce slowly little changes that can create the environments uh, or make the environments slightly more open or more uh, supportive in a way. If that makes sense. Yeah, it it, to- it makes sense. It's it's also I keep thinking about um, though the the extreme cases. You know, I think most most schools and companies are are modest in their hurdles um but some are more substantial you know i mean here in the u.s and again i don't know how it is on your end of the pond um but the the me too movement and the times up movement have you know been substantial in terms of looking at cultures of dishealth (laughs) you know um and i think you know i think dance companies can be very vulnerable to Mm -hmm. to that sort of power dynamic um that can be so unhealthy yeah so i I guess you know this is a perfect topic at this moment of like really thinking about an individual who's working for Harvey Weinstein, you know, to come out of dance for a minute. Like, it doesn't matter how much positive psychology, you know, how how much they will themselves to not engage in negative self-talk and to, you know, really address their stress through these certain tools. It's like if you're working in an environment that's so hostile, mm-hmm. there, there's, is, there's not much you can do, right? Yeah, that's right, and and I think in a way, what we nowadays we are facing this constant pressure, and, and I guess that's one of the reasons why people are more and more and more disclosing burnout and stress, 
uh, even more than injury. So injury in a way became something that, you know, people recognize it's happening, it may happen, and in a way uh, it, people talk about that more openly and naturally. But when we talk about stress or burnout, it's this is something that is still misunderstood in a way. and. And on the other hand, there's a constant pressure for us as individuals, again, this pressure over the individual to self-manage their own career, to keep going, to, you know, to, to do their best. But at the same time, these, this possibility of allowing ourselves as individuals to, to say no or to actually communicate our thoughts or actually say no to certain situations. So in a way that's an extra pressure that we have at the moment uh, nowadays in current days is it's almost like we can't say no, we can't say I'm tired or we can't say because is that if before uh, people wouldn't say I'm injured mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now it's, it's almost the same with the stress and burnout and, and lack of enjoyment and we know we do know from research that if people don't enjoy what they are doing, if they don't feel that they can get some meaning and and they don't engage in a positive way with the work they do, that will lead to ill health, to mental ill health. That will lead not only to mental ill health, but also to lack of productivity and lack of motivation. So in a way, this is a cycle. Um, and I, I do I do believe that people need to I think there's one word that is key in all these discussions and this word is trust. Self-trust in a way, so trust ourselves, trust that if we need to leave, we need to leave. Trust that if we need to face, we need to face. If we need to say no, we need to say no. Um, so trust ourselves in a way and, and trust others and, and that's where the organization have really a role is to develop that trust where individuals can trust their organization, not that the organization look after themselves. Uh, and this is a key word to, to ensure that everybody is satisfied and that everybody is productive and motivated and there's a positive environment. Um, and it's something that we need. This comes from lots of discussions with dancers and musicians all the time. It's this lack of trust. Us and them is, is something that comes many times from the discussions. And this is where we need to break these, this relationship, the us and them. There has to be trust. Um, and, and, tr and organizations need to build that trust. Because otherwise, this will increase this sense of lack of satisfaction, lots of, lack of motivation, lack of productivity, and again, this is a a circle, uh, and that will not end well. So, yeah, I went away from your question, but it's not. There aren't easy answers no. for this in a way. No, but I mean, this goes back to your point about communication, where sometimes. You know, there are truly dysfunctional systems. That's yes. an extreme. Let's hope those are outliers. But I, I recently had a dancer tell me that they were worried to tell their employer that they needed to take, you know, a day or two off for mental health. 
And in fact, they were very surprised that the employer said, all right, you know, not a problem. Let us know what we can do to support you, you know? And I think that that's an example of the the trickle down of communication. Like it, it hadn't gotten to that dancer Mm-hmm. And fortunately, she tr- she did trust herself to say, I need this and I'm going to ask mm-hmm. for it. Um, you know, that, that probably took a lot of strength and gave her some anxiety. But if she had known that the organization would reply with such mm-hmm. compliance, you know, and, and such support, even that anxiety could have been removed from the situation. You know, mm-hmm. so here's an organization that in fact does value her mental well-being and she just didn't realize you know so that's an example of that communication trickle down in in a way i think that reflects um this culture that still exists in the performing arts where where the dancers are in a way workers without rights or are perceive themselves as workers without rights in a way and and and, and that's the inheritance of a culture of silence that I do feel is changing. And that's a good example of how things are changing. But there's still this, almost this fear or not knowing what, what is going, what to expect from the other side. But I agree that organizations are more and more open to these topics, uh, especially at the moment where mental health is a hot topic. So, you know, in a way, there is this pressure as well um, to address the topic. Uh, but I, I, I do feel it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because there's still these, these underlying perception that that idea, should I ask? Maybe I shouldn't ask. I don't know if I can ask. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this is still the, the effect of this culture of silence that I think is slowly changing in a way, which is Right? And that's a good, a very good example of that. And sometimes from the organizational perspective, it's just a matter of making sure that that, that communication happen more openly. And things like, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of constantly reminding people that, you know, these services are available to you. Mm-hmm. We do provide this kind of training. We do offer you this kind of provision. And even if from the organizational side, that can be happen. We may still be leading, uh, dealing with individuals who have this underlying thinking that I can't ask for help or I don't know exactly how to, how to ask for help. And the role of the organization in a way is facilitate that process. It's ensure that there's openness and there's the communication is open and effective enough to allow individuals to say, okay, can I do this? Can I do that? The worst that can happen is having, is receiving a no in a way, but that can lead to further discussions. And that's that's a sign that things are changing. Yeah, I think sometimes the perception though is that the worst that can happen is that they are forever viewed differently, yeah. you know? So it's yeah. not just a no, it's like, a no and idea of being that person who need you know who's needy mm-hmm. or who can't meet can't meet the demands or whatever so i think it yeah I, it's you know i even see this in to make a physical example you know 
yeah, you can tell a student, in order to get your arms in front of you, you need to think about this, you know, or whatever. You can give them a certain cue. And years later, yeah. they'll say, nobody ever taught me how to bring my arms forward. You know? And it's yeah. like, no, I told you for a long time, but it's complicated when information yeah. sinks in. And I think there are other ways that organizations can send these messages. And I'm thinking back to what you said about injury and how it used to be that nobody would admit to being injured. And now we're taking them for the most part, we're getting better about um, mm-hmm. treating injury really in a more practical and functional and healthy, productive way. And one of those ways is, for example, like every, every major dance company is going to have some medical staff on hand. They're going to have, you know, a PT that they coordinate with or, you know, a, a orthopedist that is on staff at least once a week or, on, you know, during performance times. And yet, there are still a lot of big companies that have no mental health professionals on staff at all. So even something like that, even just saying like, yes, we provide PT and we also provide therapy. Yeah. And it could be just, you know, not necessarily therapy because in a way I do feel that there's still a bit of stigma Mm -hmm, around mm -hmm. psychology and linking necessarily to similarly to the relationship there was before with the physiotherapist in relation to injury if, if there's a physiotherapist or a strength and conditioning person there is because there's weakness something need, <laughs> needs to be fixed uh-huh. in a way you know and i do feel there's still some stigma about the work the role of psychologists and counselors in this field mm-hmm. um but I, I do agree, there's, you know, similarly to what happens in, in many uh, sports uh, contexts where there are performance coach or where there are life coach or counselors, but that are there to work within the t- with the team to, you know, create a plan that's focused on recovering from injury with positive self-talk and, you know, with more clear goal setting, so developing mental skills that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a mental health problem there, mm-hmm. but there's work being done in terms of increasing and, and sustaining positive emotions and coping mechanisms and you know psychological sk- skills that will help definitely prevent other things to develop, for example, stress to develop into burnout. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do agree that there's still a place for psychologists or counselors that needs need to happen within these teams that work with uh, medical professionals that work with dancers in dance companies. Um, well, maybe it's a recommendation that we should. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, there's. I think it comes from still a little bit of stigma mm-hmm. around the yeah. specific role. Um, of psychologists and counselors because it doesn't need necessarily to be therapy. It mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm. if needed, but on the other hand, there's much more that can be done to help build this psychological resilience among dancers. Definitely. Right, to just it, it, opportunities to optimize performance. I mean, it's a, exactly. the same, you know, if, yeah, if anxiety is hindering your performance, then let's address it just the way if hamstring inflexibility is hindering your performance, let's address it. Exactly. 
as as we come to a close, I, mean, I feel like we could go on for a long time, but, oh. um, you know, there are certain things when you talk about what's transferable from other fields. And like I said, mm-hmm. I do think sometimes there's this resistance in dance and all performing arts, you know, yeah. to say like, no, no, but it's different in dance. You have to understand it's different, <laughs> you know, and, and we can do that too much sometimes, mm-hmm. but sometimes it really is different. And we are looking at a population that is, you know, particularly high in perfectionistic tendencies mm-hmm. and and very high striving personalities. There are some some particulars. What's unique to dance? What are the particular hurdles mm-hmm. that exist in dance for institutions? Well, uh, I I agree and. Of course, when we look at organizational or culture change work, we do have to address the uniqueness of each organization. So, you know, we can't really use one mother field soul and, and we can't do that. It's, if we want to ensure that there's change happening and behavior, behaviors changing, we need to look at the uniqueness and the specificities of each um organization um, and in a way I think what we we keep focus on you know perfectionism yes research shows uh, widely that there is a tendency for perfectionism among dancers um, but we do we do forget that there's other strengths that dancers have and dance, dance organizations have and we tend to forget that we are talking about individuals we with a very high, um, very strong creativity, mm-hmm. very strong perseverance, very strong passion. teamwork skills, very strong passion. And we tend to, in a way, underestimate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we forget to appreciate that we are talking about highly motivated, passion, perseverant individuals. Um, so when we talk about environments that in a way allow that striving for excellence to actually be optimizing optimizes um, in a way that you know keep people engaged keep people motivated to do their best but at the same time create environments where we allow for individuals for dancers to feel that they are in a way part of a bigger of a bigger mission, part of a bigger goal, that they are, that they have in a way some ownership mm. of the decisions that happen within the organization, that mm-hmm. they are not just, you know, people that execute movements and that, impl- that you know, do performance, but, but people that are part of the organization uh, in its full complexity in a way. And that's, in a way, what I feel that needs to change is that idea that dancers as part of companies or dance students as part of dance schools are part of the organization and are the important part of it mm-hmm. and we tend to, to try to do things to you know uh, focus on the problems or solve the problems and we forget to appreciate the the good things and appreciate the good work more more easily we focus on you know, uh, a fail in an assignment or a less less good performance, then we say, 
this was great, great performance. Um, let's celebrate this. Let's look at what worked really well and, and let's work with these. So in a way that's the change to a more positive, positive framework in a way that needs to happen. Um, and you know, the, the big topic in research at the moment is around positive emotions and emotion regulation. Mm -hmm. And this idea of creating uh, process and conditions to let people, but also organizations, flourish, which is quite difficult in a in a in an era where stress and burnout and adding, adding, adding more and more work is 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 a reality, but it's a challenge that we have to accept. Is to you know the our challenge is to to keep working on positive emotions, on positive environments, because we know that produce results. And we know that that will lead to well-being. And we know that leads to productivity and success. So that's what we need to do as individuals and organizations, in a way we have that shared responsibility to create more positive um, environments. And sometimes it's just a matter of appreciation of what works and and trust and lead change through trust. Wow, that's great. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like we're at the tip of the iceberg with this. Um, <laughs> we need to wrap it up, but I on it. I mean, there's so much to think about further in this conversation, and I I really you know, I'm so appreciative of you for proposing this topic because I think um, it's it's very prescient. It's like right of the moment. I think we're just starting to to appreciate the importance of, of these concepts and we have a lot of work to do, but also, you know, I like that positive note, you know, ending on the positivity of um, there's so much potential, so. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Liliana. If there isn't anything else you. you'd like to add, I think we'll wrap up there. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak about this. I think, as you, as you just mentioned, this is, there is so much that we could talk about more in detail, but it's, it's a hot topic at the moment and it needs more uh, research, more intervention, so that we have more conclusive ideas and, and challenge to embrace in a way. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, Ellie Kushner, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. We'll be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye! <laughs>